Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Health experts have said that if we want to reopen businesses and schools safely, widespread mask use is a must. So what's the science behind them and are local leaders on board? I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Dr. Stephen Nemerson of St. Alphonsus joins us to discuss the science behind mask use in combating the spread of COVID-19 and whether it's too late for us to stop the momentum of rising cases. Then Audrey Dutton of the Idaho Statesman joins us to talk about hospital capacity and how the state's ability to track that has changed. But first, on Thursday, Governor Brad Little joined President Donald Trump at a White House press conference to discuss their respective administration's efforts to reduce regulations. While in DC, Governor Little also met with Health and Human Services. After that meeting, Little said he had secured more COVID-19 tests for Idaho, though it wasn't immediately clear how many. At the White House event, the governor spoke about how he reduced regulations on telemedicine. In Idaho, Governor Brad Little was here today with us as well, set a new record for regulatory relief. Good job, Brad. Between uh, CMS, the department, and what we did in Idaho, we increased telehealth availability in Idaho by 4,000%. Idaho is a rural state. Idaho is a state where accessibility and the cost of health care is always an issue. It's a combination and the teamwork of your administration and what we've done that made that available to where we will rebound in Idaho. And thank you very much, Mr. Good. President. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you. That press conference came on the same day as publicintegrity.org released unpublicized White House documents that listed Idaho as one of 18 states that are currently red zones because of rising coronavirus cases and test positivity rates. According to those documents, 11 Idaho counties and five Idaho metro areas qualify as red zones by the White House's metrics. That document also includes policy recommendations for red zones, including closing bars and restaurants and gyms, ensuring businesses and services require masks, and supporting mandates for masks in highly affected areas. For more, visit the Idaho Reports Facebook page. Of course, mask mandates are a hot button issue in Idaho and the rest of the nation, in part because of misinformation spread on social media. On Friday, Dr. Stephen Nemerson, Chief Clinical Officer for St. Alphonsus, joined us to talk about those rumors, as well as school safety and whether we can stop the exponential rise in COVID-19 cases. Thank you so much for joining us today. When it comes to the virus spread, first of all, where are we in Idaho compared to the rest of the United States right now? Um, well, Melissa, it depends upon what you're comparing this to, right? So if you're talking about the real hot spots in the United States, Texas, Arizona, and others, we're keeping right up with them. Uh, and we look at a metric called the prevalence of coronavirus in our community, which is measured as the number of people that have active infection per 100,000 population. 
And our number here in Ada County right now is around 550. Um, and that moves up and down a tiny bit day to day. Uh, but in the past two weeks, it's just climbed every day. Um, and compare that to hotspots like uh, Arizona, um, Central California, and they, their number is anywhere from 300 to 1,000. So we're right in that same um, kind of incidence of coronavirus infection. With looking at how the trends are going at this point, is it too late to stop that momentum in the no. Treasure Valley and the rest of the state? Uh, not at all. As I've said before, the coronavirus train is out of the station for Idaho, and it's definitely marching down the track and heading our way. Um, but the one thing that we do have is the gift of time, and we can turn that train around if we implement the measures that we know are effective in controlling community spread. And it may be controversial. I'm here merely to represent the facts, to tell you that um, those measures are simple and straightforward. It's masking as many people as possible, keeping them as far apart from one another as possible, and then having all of us practice really good hand hygiene because the two ways that this virus spreads is either through transmission through the air from the stuff that we cough and breathe out, or it's by us touching that stuff that comes out of our body um, touching an object and then somebody else coming along later and touching that same object, rubbing their eyes and nose. And so we've got to stop that transfer process so that we can stop the growth. And let's talk about masks for a second. I've seen so many social media rumors about mask efficacy and safety. So first of all, how are cloth masks effective in stopping the virus if the virus is so small that it can presumably pass through cloth? Yeah, that's a great question, Melissa. I'm really glad you asked it. Um, because the thing people need to understand is that the virus doesn't travel alone. It's not coming out of a laboratory where it's pure virus that is coming out in a very fine particle or powder. It's actually carried by the droplets um, that naturally come out of our nose and mouth. And you know, a really good way to think about it is when you're in a cold place, like in the middle of winter and you're breathing out and you see that fog that comes out of your mouth, that's the natural respiratory um, droplets that are coming out of your body. And, the, and this is when we're healthy, right? So the virus rides on those particles. And if you're wearing any kind of barrier, it will help to contain that stuff from coming out and then floating through the air and contaminating somebody else. Um, obviously, the finer the pores of the mask, so um, cloth masks that are really tight and people who do a lot of sewing can tell you the, the gaps between fibers. Um, the tighter it is, the more likely it is to attract stuff. And when we think about medical masks, and I don't want to belabor this point, um, medical masks not only have that benefit, but they also have electrostatic charge to them. So they attract those respiratory particles um, to keep stuff from coming through. And the masks protect two ways. Primarily, they protect by containing uh, virus on respiratory particles uh, to us so that it doesn't float through the air and contaminate somebody else and give them the infection. 
The other thing is it does, frankly, is it filters to a limited extent the stuff that other people are transmitting um, and helps us not to absorb that. And that brings up the question of whether or not asymptomatic people can actively spread the virus to other people. That's another thing that I've seen repeatedly on social media, people questioning whether or not people who are sick, who are carrying the virus, can even spread it to others if they're not showing symptoms like fever or cough. Yeah, well, of course they can. Um, and again, I really want to give guidance in a way that's meaningful to people without focusing too much on the numbers. And, but I will give you one number, which is about up to a third of people, particularly younger folks, um, and of those younger folks, children, um, can carry the virus and literally have no, no symptoms. Also, for those of us who are older, like me, and um, can contract the virus, there's a period of time before we get noticeably symptomatic and we are still infectious to others. So that virus is growing inside of us. Um, we haven't, our body hasn't reacted so violently that we feel sick and, and we're highly infectious to other individuals. So yes, asymptomatic transfer is absolutely possible. And in fact, um, in many of these incidents, and, and you read about them in the media and you see them on television, where somebody's gone to a church choir and been singing and they seemed well, and in projecting through their voice, they've then contaminated the whole room and a multitude of people end up with coronavirus. And those stories are, we're seeing them over and over and over again now. How about mask safety? If I'm wearing a piece of cloth over my mouth for you know perhaps hours at work, is that safe for me to do so? It is. Um, the, really, the only thing that we have to worry about is in somebody who is profoundly debilitated, weak, having a hard time breathing under the best of circumstances, is that mask creating such an intense physical barrier that it prevents them from moving air in and out effectively? But think about that, Melissa. I mean, <laughs> how weak must you be to be able to be compromised by having a piece of cloth over your mouth and nose um, to make it more difficult to breathe. Um, and so your doctor can really assess whether or not you can um, tolerate a mask. The other incidence is individuals who have, again, profound lung or heart disease, who the small amount of carbon dioxide that's trapped underneath that mask gets rebreathed into the lung, those individuals, that small amount of increased carbon dioxide can affect their ability to function. Um, but it's, again, very, very, very rare um, to the point that we wouldn't expect somebody who's able to get in a car and drive themselves to a grocery store and doesn't need supplemental oxygen to, in any way, shape, or form, not be able to um, tolerate a mask safely. And, and in other states where universal masking is required, we call it universal face covering to emphasize that it doesn't have to be a formal mask. You can use a scarf, whatever you can get your hands on, cover yourself up. Um, that uh, there aren't people dropping in the streets because they've got something covering their face. They're doing just fine. We, all of us are gonna do just fine unless a doctor says, no, uh, I'm sorry, but you, you're a danger. 
I'm curious your thoughts on children wearing masks, masks. And I know so many of my fellow parents are wondering this as we're looking at school plans for returning in the fall semester. How old do children need to be before they start wearing masks? And can children spread this virus to each other in those classroom settings? Yeah. Um I'll try and take the multiple parts of that question separately. Let's first talk about at what age can a normal child uh, accept a mask? And the fact is um, the tiniest of babies, those children should not have a mask put over them. And that has to do with the fact that they've got tiny little lungs and they're moving tiny little amounts of air and putting a big honking mask over that, that head doesn't work. Um, beyond that, up to the age of about two years, uh, children developmentally don't accept a mask very well. And so we don't advise that kids over two years of age um, wear a mask. Once they reach about two years of age, developmentally, they can participate. It's a fun game for them. And there's all kinds of videos on YouTube advising how to coach your child um, into cooperating with a mask. And as I've seen all over the place now, including on the internet, you can buy masks that have all kinds of designs on them. Um, for little boys, you can help them to um, enjoy a mask that has some kind of Power Ranger figure or something like that. And I don't need to give you guidance around that, but the point is that um, children really can be more than cooperative. It can be a pleasant experience for them. And once they get to be around four or five years of age, they're actually understanding that this is protecting them and um, that it's the way that they can help themselves, they can help their family, and they can help their community. Um, and I've been receiving personal stories from people telling me uh, how proud they are of their kids and participating in this stuff. You, the, the second part of the question you asked me was about schools. So um, we know masks are protective. Um, we know that it's really about all the people wearing masks that are around you that protects you. And so when we think about the school situation, um, the factors are the same. It's how can we return kids to in-person education um, in an environment that is safe for them. Uh, and that means maximizing the distance between desks, disinfecting, by the way, um, all surfaces as frequently as possible, uh, ventilating the air in classrooms as much as possible. And there are even engineering standards I won't go into around that. Um, and then finally, uh, trying to prevent transmission of the virus in those settings through the aerosols and, um, and contacts. Uh, I will tell you, you asked me before, a couple of important things that schools need to consider. One is that um, children, uh, particularly the youngest age set, have the highest risk of being asymptomatic and carrying the virus and not um, through routine screening methods being recognized for being uh, colonized with the virus. So that's a major problem. Second thing is that um, high schoolers and middle schoolers are the ones that are most likely to be able to transmit the virus based on recent data that we've seen. So um, if that's the group that is more likely to transmit it, then in that setting, it's even more important to keep them apart and to um, make sure that they are um, practicing really good hand hygiene and, and covering their faces. And then the last thing is that it's not just about the student, right? It's about the teacher and the principal. 
And these are the people who are, who are at higher risk if they get the infection of getting really sick from it. Um, so navigating that situation and protecting all um, and changing behavior in that setting is a formidable problem. Um, and uh, we at St. Alphonsus, we're trying to help um, the school districts think through this process, but big picture, it's very, very complicated and I'll just say nearly impossible to uh, create a truly safe environment. All we can do is reduce the risk uh, to a degree. Are masks effective in Ada County where there's a mandate if people next door in Canyon County aren't wearing them? Um, well, I would say it's, a, it's about the individual first. So um, my first goal and obligation is to that one patient so they don't get sick. So yes, in Ada County, are they effective? Are they protecting individual people? Absolutely. Um, uh, people who are out in public, if they're surrounded by others who are wearing masks, their risk of getting coronavirus drops significantly. Now, um, in terms of individuals in Ada County being able to go to Canyon County or any other place, um, take off their mask and infect other people, um, or acquire the virus in those settings because they're not behaving, or the people, even more importantly, the people around them are not behaving, and then bring it back here, absolutely. And that's going to, unfortunately, um, dilute the effectiveness of requiring face covering of everybody in Ada County. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Um, what it means is we should encourage people in those surrounding areas to do the same thing that we're doing here. And the other thing we can do to protect ourselves and protect our community is stay out of those places, right? Don't bring it back here. Um, and if somebody from those places is coming here, um, we need to consider them potentially more infectious to us. Now, the last thing I wanna say, um, which is tragic, you've seen this on the media and, um, and, and I'll be quite candid with you. I personally have gone to the grocery store and had people laugh at me wearing a mask um, and ridicule me for doing so. Um, the fact is it is not worth getting into a violent confrontation with someone who doesn't agree with your opinion. Um, we, we don't need to be treating people for trauma um, because they feel obligated to try and enforce their beliefs on somebody else. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say communicate effectively, hold your family and those that you care about accountable, um, but don't put yourself in a risky situation over this. Can you give us an update on hospital capacity and operations at St. Alphonse's as of Friday morning right now when we're talking? Sure. Um, earlier in the week, I gave some presentations and I talked about the volume of patients that we're seeing with coronavirus across our entire health system and specific to our regional medical center in Boise, Idaho. Um, cut to the chase, at the beginning of the week, I said that we had approximately 40 patients that were hospitalized that were diagnosed with COVID. Right now, today, we're in the 50s to 60s, very close to 60. Um, and so this is very consistent with the growth that we're seeing in our community and the predictions that we have um, about growth over the coming weeks to months. Uh, bottom line is we would expect 
that will double our total volume within a matter of a couple of weeks. Um, and by Labor Day, as much as half of the entire capacity of our health system will be consumed with COVID patients. Um, so that, that progression we expect to continue unless uh, changes occur in the community. And how does that affect the normal operations of a hospital like treating patients with chronic disease or trauma? Yeah, that in some ways, that's the greatest tragedy of this whole situation. Uh, in fact, we have a tiered response level so that we can continue to serve the community um, because heart disease, lung disease, cancer doesn't stop. Um, right now, uh, we've gone from a what we call tier five, which is normal operations. And last week, we went to tier four, which is uh, reducing some of our more elective procedures. Now we're down uh, as of today to tier three, where we're needing to postpone or discontinue uh, some more urgent procedures. And uh, as I was saying, the real tragedy is somebody with a tumor um, may have to wait several days to have that tumor removed right now, where uh, if we were in more normal circumstances, we would of course take it, take it out right away. All right, Dr. Steven Emerson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. On Tuesday, Central District Health voted to require masks everywhere in Ada County. Southwest Public Health District, which covers neighboring Canyon County, tried to meet on Thursday to get information about local hospital capacity, mask use, and virus mitigation, but postponed that meeting after anti-mask protesters confronted health district staff and tried to get into the meeting. Among those protesters was Ammon Bundy, famous for leading the 2016 occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. This is not your building. This is not your building. No, 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 no. We will not be pushed locked out. This is our meeting, not your meeting. Either call the officer, cancel the meeting, or allow the public in. That's it. Meanwhile, cases continue to rise in Canyon County, and as of Friday, there are no restrictions in place. I spoke to Audrey Dutton of the Idaho Statesman about her coverage of hospital capacity in the area and how recent changes will affect that tracking. Thanks so much for joining us today, Audrey. You had a story earlier this week about hospital capacity, specifically ICU capacity at St. Luke's in Nampa. Could you tell us about that story? Yeah, so um, we had heard that the ICU in Nampa had filled up um, with patients and they were having to be diverted. Uh, so I checked with St. Luke's about that. They said, indeed, our ICU was full. Um, not just COVID-19 patients, they also are continuing to do elective surgeries and they have just general folks who need ICU care. Um, so they did have to divert people to Boise. Um, it is not exceedingly rare for a hospital to have to go on diversion because they often run pretty close to capacity anyway. Um, but obviously given the situation we're in right now, it's uh, something people are concerned about. 
Yeah, what do we know right now about hospital and ICU capacity statewide in Idaho, and how does the state track that? Uh, well, right now, I'm not sure. Um, as of a few days ago, we had access to um, the National Healthcare Safety Network, which is a kind of a portal for hospitals to report information. Um, and they had been using it to report their COVID uh, hospitalizations, ICU, uh, ventilator use. And um, the Trump administration over the past week told the hospitals to stop using that portal and to switch over to a portal that feeds not to the CDC, but to Health and Human Services. Um, and so in Idaho, we don't have our own system gathering that data. Uh, we were using the National Healthcare Safety Network, the same network that the CDC was using, to pull our numbers every day and see what our capacity was like, see how many beds were full, um, and that's the number that they report on the state website. But we no longer have access to that as of uh, yesterday. And so to be clear, it's not just the public relying on this data, it is the state and other hospitals as well. Right. And we have been seeing um, over the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing the numbers tick up in hospitalizations. Um, in the past week, it's been pretty, pretty steep increase. Um, the last CDC data that was uh, posted uh, that I looked at had Idaho at the steepest climb in the percent of ICU beds that were taken up by COVID-19 patients. And as you mentioned, this is affecting other uh, types of healthcare that hospitals normally provide as well. Uh, yes, so you can think of it as kind of a, a trickle effect or I like to think of it as a wildfire where your resources are being pulled into one specific thing and you can start being able to respond to the normal stuff that you would get on a day-to-day -day basis when you've got this special crisis that you have to respond to. Right, and, and I'm thinking about how the, the push and pull of everything, everything is connected. Here in Ada County, where you and I are speaking from, we have a mask mandate, but Canyon County doesn't have a mask mandate and that's affecting that overflow capacity is affecting Boise's, Boise hospitals and the Boise community as well. Yeah, so Boise has taken in patients from surrounding communities before. That's not, um, that's not necessarily a new thing, but uh, the concern right now from hospital leaders, healthcare leaders in general, I mean, they all kind of got together earlier this week in, I think, at least in my time here, an unprecedented sort of unified front, we need a mask mandate because this is a really big problem that we're seeing right now and we are concerned about the future. So, um, so yeah, so in Boise, if we've got a large number of cases here, it makes it harder for us to take in patients from elsewhere. Um, currently, according to St. Luke's, the Boise Hospital has more ICU kind of flexibility um, so they're able to take patients from Nampa still, and that's not that's not a problem. But um, we've seen in other communities, several other communities around the nation, um, that that can become uh, a problem very quickly. And we're not done. Those cases are still rising, and those ICU beds are still getting filled up. Right. And there's a couple weeks lag between when you see cases uh, increase versus when people start hitting the hospitals because it takes a while for the disease to progress to the point where you really need to be admitted. Um, and then typically you see deaths 
start to rise after that as well. So they're, they're very lagging indicators and what we're seeing right now will be reflected in the next few weeks. All right, Audrey Dutton, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for watching. For updated numbers and analysis throughout the week, make sure you're following Idaho Reports on Twitter and Facebook. We'll see you back here next week. And until then, stay safe, Idaho. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.